Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Cool Sports Network. I am your host, Chase Coburn, and today I am joined by a very special guest, the New York Yankees public address announcer, Paul Olden. Paul, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me on. Well, we're really glad you were able to come on. So, you know, to start off the show, I think we should kind of realize, when did you realize you wanted to be an announcer? And then what did you do to pursue that dream and make it a reality? (laughs) Uh, Age 15. And I just started working at uh, um, practicing play-by-play in front of the TV set and going to uh, college baseball games or high school games and sitting in the stands and practicing play-by-play into a tape recorder. Well, I mean, obviously, that's that's the way to do it. You got to just keep practicing and keep going with it. So, you know, say age 15, that's around high school. And then I know you went to Los Angeles City College. What did you kind of learn there that really helped you become an announcer? Well, they had a pretty, or they, they still do have a uh, fairly extensive broadcasting curriculum uh, that included at the time in the 70s. Uh, learning how to be a disc jockey, learning how to be a newscaster uh, on both radio and TV. And we had a on-campus radio station that we could actually uh, go in and, and take on-air shifts and just pretend as if we were regular broadcasters and learn that way. Uh, and we had various courses, mic- microphone technique and writing and um, just general base of what you needed to become a broadcast professional. So it was a, as a junior college, so it was a pretty stocked and, and well uh, laid out curriculum. And you learned quite a bit in two years. So throughout your career, obviously you've announced several sports, including football, basketball, and baseball. But what would you say is the most challenging sport to announce? Well, probably uh, uh, the sports that are pretty fast moving in the basketball uh, and sometimes with football, because there's so many players, you have to kind of have a general idea about uh, baseball is the easiest because it's the slowest paced and, you know, it's every night and the rosters are manageable uh, in terms of uh, and, and not all not all 25 or 28 of the players are playing at the same time like you might have in football with uh, you know, 44 players out there at once. Uh, so, um, our, uh, or 22 players out there at once. <laughs> yeah. uh, it, you got the officials and then some of the yeah. fans in the front row, you got 44. Uh, but yeah, uh, yeah you, so those sports that move fast, I, I, I hadn't, I haven't done hockey. I've assisted on hockey broadcasts, but those probably, that's probably the difficult, most difficult because they move so fast and now all of the players are wearing helmets. So, you have to be pretty uh, up on on physical characteristics and uniform numbers, and uh, to be able to keep up with hockey. Yeah. So as I mentioned, you have announced a ton of games throughout your career. Which individual performance by a player did you find the most fascinating? Uh, well, I don't know about fascinating. I mean, I've I've called no hitters before, but uh, when Wade Boggs got his three thousandth base hit when he was with the Tampa Bay. Devil Rays back in 1998, uh, 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 rather 1999, uh, was uh, one of the highlights of my career because I was on, I was doing radio and TV for Tampa Bay, and I happened to be on the TV side when he hit 
his uh, home run for base hit number 3,000. And I had uh, kind of scripted out what I was going to say uh, because I had seen other announcers uh, call uh, their uh, 3,000 base hit for their particular player. And they all basically sounded the same. So I wanted to do something different. Uh, so I scripted out what I was going to say, and it was kind of like a fill-in-the-blank or whatever happened, a home run, single, double, triple. And um, so he, had to, he became the first player to hit a home run to get his 3,000 base hit, uh, which yeah. has then become uh, a, a norm. Because yeah. uh, Alex Rodriguez did it, and, and um, Derek Jeter did it. Uh, so that was uh, uh, exciting for me. Is there an announcer you like looked up to when you were younger and first becoming an announcer that really helped you become the announcer you were today? Like any particular style or any particular person you looked up to in that way? Well, I grew up in Los Angeles, so I uh, had uh, Vince Scully, um, baseball and uh, football and golf and uh, just general all-around good broadcaster. Did game shows as well. Uh, Dick Emberg, of course, the great late Dick Emberg who did uh, both uh, Rams and Angels and UCLA. And I wound, uh, wound up doing the Rams and Angels and UCLA on the same radio station that he did when he was coming up in Los Angeles. So that was a thrill, and I got to know him. And Chick Hearn for basketball, uh, the best basketball announcer ever. And I learned from him and got to know him. So I got to know Vince Scully as well. So not only did they provide a kind of, uh, template for a broadcaster, uh, but getting to know them as professional peers also was a big thrill. What would you say, because you started off more as a play-by-play announcer, and then now obviously you're the PA announcer for the Yankees. So what would you say is the main difference between being a play-by-play announcer and a PA announcer? Well, a lot fewer words. <laughs> yep. uh, you don't have to really do any uh, uh, deep, dive preparation for public address announcer. Uh, all the teams provide their pronunciation sheets of their roster. So that makes it easy. And uh, it, you can go on YouTube and hear other announcers pronounce names of players if you're unsure. And there is also on the online, there's a, uh, a service called uh, pronouncenames.com that also help with the give you a general idea of how names are supposed to be said. So other than uh, the pregame stuff is much more challenging in uh, PA announcing these days because you have all these organizations that are having civic uh, ceremonies on the field. Sometimes we get a chance to find out about their names. Uh, sometimes that's not the case if there are a lot of people being honored. Like last week I, I had one situation where I had to reel off, a, I think, a total of 31 names of people who were on the field. Uh, we got a couple of them, a couple of the more tricky ones, uh, but we didn't have time to get all 31. So I just generally took a, a, a stab. And whenever I do that, I just try to make it, whatever I say, sound like that's the way it's supposed to be said. <laughs> <laughs> so for those who do not know, Paul, you announced, obviously, obviously, you know, but for the audience, uh, Paul announced several Super Bowls in the 1990s and 2000s. And yes, every sports game is important, but 
obviously the Super Bowl is one of the bigger games of the entire season. So what would you say is the biggest difference between commentating the Super Bowl and just commentating a regular game? Uh, just more pressure. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, but generally, uh, it's uh, you, you, you don't try to separate it that much from a regular season game because it's uh, still the basic nuts and bolts, what you have to do to uh, provide the in-stadium audience with basic information. And you try not to talk too much. Um, I, I did a couple of Super Bowls. I did 12 Super Bowls, in, <clears throat> 12 Super Bowls in a row. Um, and my particular style of doing PA is, because uh, I learned from a guy named John Ramsey, who did the LA Rams public address announcing and also UCLA and USC when I was growing up in LA, he uh, would announce the ball carrier as soon as the quarterback handed him the ball. Uh, a lot of PA announcers wait until after the play is over to identify you know, Jones on the carry for 12 yards. Uh, but my style, uh, mimicking John Ramsey's style, was as soon as the quarterback hands off the ball to the running back, I'd say, and Smith has the ball. This is Smith carrying the ball. So uh, early on, uh, Fox had their, their uh, field microphones attached to some of the players just to get the sound of the you know, pads knocking against one another when the ball was snapped. Uh, and since I had started announcing the name of the player as soon as he had the ball, that was coming across TV too loud. Uh, and so they asked me during one of the Super Bowls to uh, uh, if I could hold off a little bit on announcing who had the ball because my PA announcing was drowning out Pat Summerall. And of course that was yeah. not good. Yeah. That's a funny story, or I guess you could say funny. You could also say uh, bad at the same time, but uh, I like funny. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll take funny as well, but yeah. obviously you've announced a plethora of games in your career. Which one stands out as the most memorable and why? Well, any of the 3,000 games, you know, you know, but like I said, I'm one of the few, I think one of only three people who have seen uh, the 3,000 hit become a home run. Uh, and it happened against, it happened twice against Tampa Bay. Uh, and then when I was with Tampa Bay, uh, so I was lucky with that regard. Uh, uh, Derek Lowe pitched a no-hitter for the Red Sox against Tampa Bay. Uh, back in the early 2000s. So that was at Fenway Park, and I, I had a chance to call that, and that was a thrill, at, you know, because the crowd was obviously into it at Fenway Park, and it was a no-hitter. Uh, and those opportunities to announce no-hit games don't come along very often, so I was really into it, and uh, that was one of my big thrills, announcing a no-hitter, because there's a lot of pressure there, too. You want to make sure you say the right things and don't over-talk. Uh, I was on radio, so you had to be very descriptive, yet not too talkative. And I feel like that's something that I do notice a lot is I feel like some announcers, they really want to, they want to make that memorable call, the call that everyone remembers. But you, the, what the audience also wants to hear is the fans reaction and everything that's going on. So, you know, I just think that's really interesting kind of how you have that style. How do you really balance the difference between, all right, I can make this call, but then at the same time, there's a certain amount of talking that has to be done, and then there's a limit. How do you kind of balance that? Well, it depends on if it's radio or TV. If it's TV, you, you shouldn't uh, talk too much because the pictures tell the story. Uh, yeah. and you don't need to add 
anything uh, to the moment. Uh, but that, of course, doesn't stop uh, announcers from uh, reeling off all kinds of stats or not really thinking through the moment and being a historical moment that it is. You want to say something that has long-lasting uh, uh, effect of, of when you listen to it years down the line, though, that was a memorable thing for him to say instead of just spewing out some facts and numbers and you know, launch angles and all that sort of thing that seems to be popular these days. Right. So you have to be, you have to you know, walk the fine line on, on radio. It's different because you have to be descriptive. Uh, but even there you can uh, do too much and kind of get in the way of the crowd. But uh, luckily uh, when I listened to Vin Scully do games, he was very aware of not talking too much and letting the crowd fill in the blanks. And you can imagine uh, how uh, difficult it what might have been for him to hold back because as an announcer, obviously you want to say stuff. Uh, but then on the other hand, you just want to let the moment speak for itself and not have to fill it with words that are unnecessary. So throughout your career, you've announced for individual teams like the Rays, as an example, and actually some time with the Yankees as their play-by-play announcer. But then you've also just announced in general sports, like when you were at ESPN, not for a specific team. How would you say you announce differently between when you're with an individual team and then with your with than when you're with a national network where you're not with a specific team? Well, you try to be as uh, 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 general as possible and, and vanilla, so to speak, when you're doing a, a game, if you have to fly in for uh, like Oakland and Cincinnati or something like that, you don't want to be too, you don't want to sound like you want one particular side to win. Uh, but that generally doesn't stop an audience from, thinking that they detect some sort of bias in your voice uh, when you're announcing a game that, that you don't really work for the teams. Uh, and yeah. you can get letters and then while you were, you were siding with this team or you were siding with the other team. And, and, and that pretty much tells you that you did a good job if you get complaints from, from both sides saying that you were biased towards the other team. Uh, that pretty much says, well, okay, I guess they both felt that I was biased toward the other team, so that must have meant that I did something right. Uh, but, of course, with the local broadcast, you want your team to win. Yep. Uh, and you, you, you don't want to sugarcoat bad play, but at the same time, you're hoping for you know, victories because everybody's happy when, when things you sound better when teams are uh, winning, when your team is winning, as opposed to, having to say some negative things when the team is on a losing streak. So you just hope your the team you work for is a winner, but that's not always the case. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely not always the case. But, you know, now you are the PA announcer for the Yankees, and we'll kind of transition over now to the Yankees. And many great announcers have held that role before you, including the legendary announcer Bob Shepard, who held the job for over 55 years. How does it feel to kind of be in the same shoes as Shepard, and even though you weren't directly after him, technically like replace his role as the Yankees' public address announcer? Yeah, I always say I followed Bob Shepard as opposed to replace him. I think that sounds better because uh, there's no replacing a guy who you know, worked until he was, I believe his last year, uh, he was 96 years old uh, and did 57 years of the PA for the Yankees. 
uh, so and you know, over that period of time and his you know last few years and especially since I had worked with the Yankees before in the 90s I got to know him very well and uh, often had dinner with him before games so that helped in terms of the transition since I was following someone who I knew that I considered a friend uh, as opposed to coming in and following someone who I didn't know that probably would have added more pressure and the fact that I had worked for the Yankees before and a lot of the people, a lot of the people who worked for the team and even the people who covered the team as writers and broadcasters knew me already. So I was coming into a familiar situation with people that I already knew who were, you know, for lack of a better term on my side and wanting me to do well. So that helped quite a bit. Uh, so that made the transition a lot smoother. So you've been mentioning today many announcers and you said some of the cryptic letters about, you know, team about you being biased towards one team or the other way around, vice versa, whatever. And something that I think is really interesting and that not a lot of people realize is how much hate some of these announcers really do get. How do you basically not listen and just zone out from all of the doubters and still have to do your job? Well, fortunately, I don't have to uh, and I didn't have to. When I was uh, in my broadcasting peak, so to speak, we didn't have social media. And the only complaints that we knew about really were the letters to the editor in the newspaper once a week. Um, And, you know, I I think what one broadcaster told me that when you read criticism of yourself, uh, of your work, you ask yourself, is any of it true? Uh, and if so, maybe work towards uh, uh, correcting what was pointed out as a weakness. Uh, but generally, uh, announcers these days, uh, you know, some guys get into Twitter wars or X wars now, right. Twitter wars with fans. Uh, and that's, that's not something that I was really interested in doing. I pretty much know uh, from game to game, when I was broadcasting, even doing the PA, I still record myself and listen back after the game to make sure that I'm doing the kind of uh, style and, and reading and saying what I want to say as, as professionally as possible. So uh, no one can really criticize me more than I can criticize myself. So I don't really worry about too much criticism. Uh, and if you pay attention to that sort of thing, that might be a weakness on your part that you have to try and please others. You have to please yourself first and then not worry about what other people are thinking, unless it's of course, obviously your employer. You have to worry about what they, they think as well, right. for the most part. So transitioning back to the Yankees, as it does look right now, it does look like the Yankees will miss the playoffs for the first time since 2016. And obviously, injuries have been a big thing this year, especially with Aaron Judge. But what would you say the Yankees need to do in the offseason to get back to being the championship contender that they were? Well, they need to get healthy. I mean, uh, Anthony Rizzo uh, felt every night. That's a big loss. Uh, but I think in general, they have to maybe get a little younger and uh, a little speedier. Uh, but they have some players who are uh, getting a chance to play now. Uh, Emerson Pereira is one of them who they feel will be the future of the team. Uh, maybe Jason Dominguez, uh, we saw quite a bit in spring training. I saw a lot. I do the spring training games because I live in Florida during the off season. So uh, 
Yeah, Jason Dominguez played quite a bit in spring training and put on a show. He can really hit the ball far, and he's doing well at the AAA level the last couple of weeks, and that's, and of course, the last step before the majors. And I think the general consensus is uh, he's going to get his chance to make his major league debut sometime in September for the Yankees. So uh, we all look forward to seeing that because that's another young uh, player who will be uh, part of the championships of the future for the Yankees. So I, I think there's some players on deck who are going to be major contributors uh, not too far down the line. Real quick before we do wrap up the show, and I ask this question to every single announcer that I've ever interviewed. If you were like you are right now, if you had to give one piece of advice to an aspiring sports broadcaster like me, what would it be? Uh, one piece of advice, I think, uh, uh, just to be a nice guy, get a, try to get along with everybody. And um, because, you know, sometimes the people you meet at the beginning of your career will advance on, you know, 20 years later and be someone that could be important for you to get hired or to hire you or for you to hire them, depending on your position in right. the broadcasting world. Uh, but uh, just do the, do the work uh, and have a, a good general attitude towards the ups and downs because you're going to have your ups and downs, especially if you work for a bad team <laughs> uh, and try not to let it affect your, your personal day-to-day uh, -day, uh, interactions with people. Paul Olden, thank you so much for that advice, and thank you so much for coming on the show today, talking about some broadcasting and Yankees baseball. We really do appreciate it. You're welcome. My pleasure. So signing off here from the Cool Sports Network, alongside Paul Olden, I am your host, Chase Coburn, and we will see you next time here on the Cool Sports Network.